just like to open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak before you and your people this morning. Father, I just pray you'll guide me and give me the words that you want to convey to your church. And I just pray, Lord, for everyone here that we'll have open hearts and minds, Lord, to hear from you and to take something away, Lord, that will just take us through the coming weeks, months, and years, Father, just to see it. Lord, that will just grow and become fruitful in our lives. Amen. Is this my water? Yeah. I asked my son David this morning, I said, run to the shop and get me a bottle of water. He never does anything by half. Um, I'd just like to start by asking three questions, and I want to do it in a a sort of parliamentary way, because I think that's quite topical at the moment, so... I'd like your answers to be I, no, or if you choose to abstain, you can stay silent. So the first question is, who wants to be more like Jesus? I. Who wants to have more faith? I. Who wants to go through trial and tribulation? Right, so I'll take it, most are abstaining. And the, I just want to share some thoughts from the first chapter of James this morning. And I'll also throw in a bit of uh, Job as well, because I think James was very much aware of the issues facing the church um, and how the primarily Jewish congregation would have been thinking of the book of Job as... James um, gave his sermon. So I'm just going to read from James chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. Okay, sorry I forgot to, uh, oh yeah, well done, yeah. Um, I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall in with diverse temptations knowing that the trying trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. In order to understand, James, you have to look at the context um, and the periods when James was, uh, the book of James was written. James was written to the Jerusalem church, primarily located in Jerusalem, but many through persecution would be scattered across Asia. Um, this was the church in Acts 2 that Luke described as having all things in common. Um, they weren't a commune. Um, having, and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily. That's a church that I would have liked to have been a part of because we all like to have favour, don't we? We all like to get on, and we all like to be thought well of. But in Acts chapter 7, we hear about the stoning of Stephen, and things changed quite dramatically for the church in Jerusalem. And we know that after the stone of Stephen, that Paul was, or Saul, was the main driver for the persecution of the church. 
would end up with the predominantly Jewish Christians having to uh, scatter themselves across Asia to avoid persecution. Now that died down after a while. And although there was tension and animosity, the conversion of Saul sort of settled things. Um, Bear with me because I'll get to where I'm going. So periods of persecution, period of unsettlement, church started scattering out. But then another incident occurred which created a humongous problem for the church in general. And can anyone guess what that was in Acts chapter 10? Sorry? Yeah. Peter, the troublemaker, (laughs) through no fault of his own, obeying God, introduced to Cornelius and his family to the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the, the church and it caused major eruptions across, across um, Asia and in Jerusalem in particular. And the reason for that was that Jerusalem was a very unstable region and under Roman rule and with Herod, the puppet king of Rome, it was his, if you like, um, It was a matter of life and death for him to maintain order and stability in Jerusalem. And of course, Herod was a um, committed believer, Jewish, uh, not believer, sorry, committed Jew. Um, And, sorry, bear with me. And of course, the... uh, the Jews in Jerusalem and the, sorry, the Jewish believers still practice the rite of circumcision, still practice the Jewish rituals, and believed that the Gentiles had to go through those rituals to come into the church. James and the church subsequently overturned that, and anyway, that set the scene, I hope, um, for a question that. James was going to answer and it was a question that was raised by the church and you can almost hear them asking we're Christians we've we've done you know what God asks us to do so why does a a righteous God and a just God allow us to suffer for doing right and I think that was a reasonable question I mean let alone Why does God allow suffering in the world? But why does God, and in their eyes they were innocent, allow the innocent to suffer? It was a question that was asked by Jeremiah. Jeremiah in 12, chapter 12, verse 1 said, Lord, you're always righteous when I bring a case before you. But I want to ask you about justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And why do all the faithless live at ease? Habakkuk asked a similar question in Habakkuk 1 verse 13. Lord, why do you remain silent when the wicked devours one more righteous than he? And the church of Jerusalem were experiencing massive persecution at this time. And the questions they were asking reflected those questions that are a thread throughout the Old Testament. And even today, 
you know, we still ask questions about why, Lord. We, we look at Palm Sunday and the joy of it. You've all got very worried faces, by the way. And the joy of it. But, you know, looming is the cross. And when we celebrate Palm Sunday, I don't know about you, but I'm always looking to what Jesus was looking ahead to. And the fact that he could celebrate the, the, the praise and joy and, and worship of the people and yet know what was coming just, just astounds me. Yeah? And to some degree, you know, we're looking ahead. Our hope is the same hope. Because we're looking to be with Jesus in heaven. But in this life, we're going to go through suffering. And the why is not, it's not always clear. We don't fully understand why God allows us to continue to suffer. But, you know, I think the bigger question, and I think a major issue for unbelievers is, which seems madness, is why... Does a righteous, loving God, why did a righteous, loving God allow his son to suffer? Is God a dictator in heaven that just likes giving out suffering to people? Yeah, is it something that he wants people to go through? And if so, why? But then why put his son through it? We know that he died for our sins and we know that he died so that we could have new life. But why why, why continue with the suffering? And I think part of the answer, and it's only part of an answer, is that God still got children to bring into the kingdom. And as long as there's children to bring in, as long, as long as there's a harvest, he needs harvesters. So God didn't take us out of the world, because if he took the church out of the world, it's the end, isn't it? That's it. It's cut off. There's, you know, there's no more coming in. God's still got children like you and me to birth, to bring in to his kingdom. And you know, that's why we're still here. It's not just about, because we get very, very self-focused. And this was what was happening to the church in Jerusalem. They were getting very in- introvert. I mean, if you think about it, the blessing that God gave to the Gentiles resulted in the persecution of the church. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? Isn't it? (laughs) Okay. So, how does James respond to the question that the church is asking him? Well, he, he responds, but he doesn't really give an answer. James is a bit like I used to do boxing. Is everyone still here, by the way? Because it's deadly quiet. <laughs> you know, we will be resurrected, but I take it we are still. We haven't reached the point of uh, being in the in the tomb yet, have we? Been in the ground. I love the the way James responds. James reminds me very much of my younger days. I used to do some boxing, and but I used to have a terrible problem with nosebleeds, and I was due to go in for my first fight, and there was. Real concerns that it was going to get called off in the first round because one punch to the nose, that was it. I mean, I used to have nosebleeds from a child constantly. And one of the trainers, a family friend, Johnny Cavana, he was a, a champion flyweight. He never got in and did sparring or anything like that. He used to always stand at the side and everyone was a bit in awe of him. And anyway, I was, there I was, training, sparring, and I got smacking the nose. 
nosebleed. And then I seen from the side Johnny Cavanna putting on the gloves. And I thought, oh, he's coming in to teach me how to defend myself. Yeah, okay, you know. So he, he got in the ring and he just pummeled the heck out of my nose. In fact, I thought he was trying to kill me. He pummeled the hell out of my nose, pardon the expression. And I was completely in shock. I was completely taken aback. And I thought I was being punished for having a nosebleed. You know what? It's never bled. Now, I don't know the science of that, or I don't know. But by him doing that, I've never had a problem with nosebleeds. My son's got it now, but I've never had a problem with nosebleeds since. And when James says, count it all joy, to me, when I, 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 didn't, I never used to get on with the book of James because it felt like that. It felt like when I wanted some answers and some comfort, James put the gloves on. said, here it comes. And you can imagine his audience being aghast. Count it all joy. Now, what I want to say is that everyone's... There's a general, general trial and tribulation that we go through as, as a body. And, but we all go through trials and tribulations and sufferings individually. And what James is talking to here is the church in general, but the individual. And when he says count, he's saying, you know, when something happens, when, when, when life takes a turn, uh, a downward turn, and you're thinking about it, and the time you think about it is usually, usually after. Because when something happens, when there's a bereavement, an illness, the adrenaline kicks in, doesn't it? You're dealing with the situation. Like when Job was hit by all those tragedies, his, his initial response was, you know, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And it always flummoxed me that. I thought, gosh, Job, that's cold. That's cold, man. <laughs> but, you know, Job was in shock. And the shock, if you like, protected him. The adrenaline protected him. But when you read the book of Job, and I believe Job, the book of Job is, is written by the Shakespeare of the Bible. Yeah, when you read the book of Job, it was after, when he was on his own, when he had time to reflect, that it all came in. And Job's biggest question, right, he never, ever compromised his integrity, his belief in God. But his question was, how can an all-powerful, righteous God allow the innocent to suffer? Yeah, that was his biggest question. And he was so convinced of his righteousness that he said... Who can stand before God and make his case? Who can make... I can't stand before... It's it's an ant before the cosmos. I can't stand in his presence and make my case, but I want an answer. I'm entitled to an answer. And little did Job know that one day someone would stand in the cause of heaven and make our case. Yeah? And that's who we're celebrating today. Jesus. Yeah? He stands there in the presence of God, and makes our case. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. So, and Job knows now, which I think is amazing. You know, he's got the answer. But we will never have the complete answer. Yeah. And that's where the test of our faith comes in. Excuse me. So Job begins. He says, look, if we're going to, if we're going to go through this, the starting point where we'll have, oh, thanks, um, thanks, Tom. Um, the starting point is our perception. How do we count 
trial, tribulation and suffering as joy. Yeah, Don't you ever, and I've done it once as a young Christian, I'll never do it again. Don't you ever go to someone who's going through the mill and say, brother, count it all joy. Don't ever. If you value, if you value you're like, don't ever do it. Because that's not what it's about. Yeah. Job's talking about reflection. When we reflect on it, there's generally two ways we can go. We can say, yeah, you know what? I don't fully understand it. But God, you're a God of love and I believe that you've got plans for me, for my future, that you've given me a hope and that all this one day will count as nothing because I'll be with you, yeah? Because you've given me a hope. Or we can say, you know, God, I cannot reconcile how a loving God can allow this to happen to me. Therefore, I've got, I can't go on. I can't continue. And suffering and trials and tribulation will always be a test of our faith. Because all faith is, in, in essence, is a decision. Yeah? Do we continue to believe? Do we continue to go on with God? Or do we not? So when we, re- when we consider these things, when we reflect on them, it's because ultimately it will lead to our joy. Yeah? There will be joy. There'll be joy in this life, but there'll be joy in heaven. When this world has ended. Yeah, okay. Are we all right with that? James says, when you experience trial and tribulation, it's not about, no one here is going to be exempt. You know, I think the biggest, the biggest mis-selling, if you like, of the charismatic movement and the, the current, um, what do you call it, the God channel and all that, is that people are offering you formulas to find a way round or a way, a way out of suffering. Yeah? You know, you do this and God does that. You do that. And when Job went through his suffering, you know, his three friends, their biggest um, hurdle with Job was that Job was suffering and it couldn't be because he was innocent. He had to have done something in his life to warrant this suffering. And it's a, it's a theme that runs through the New Testament as well. Remember when the man born blind came up to Jesus and the disciples said, Lord, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And if, I'll let you read it. Um, but, you know, Jesus' answer was none of them. You've, you've completely missed the point. But it, some, we try to make reason, of, we try to make sense of suffering and sometimes there isn't any sense to it so when we're going to experience suffering in this life you can count on it it's guaranteed but you know the joy is that Jesus suffered so that he could send his Holy Spirit so that he could be with us in our suffering to carry us through and in the book of Job that was the role of the three friends to come along come alongside Job and be his help yeah, and when we when we open ourselves up to God in suffering, we see that there's provision. Yeah, He's with us, but also He provides for us through through this world, through family, through events, through circumstances. When Job was going through his nightmare, he couldn't see it. Yeah, 
He lost sight. He lost perspective. And this James is trying to bring the church back and saying, look, get perspective. Because there is hope. Even in what you're going through now, God's in it with you. And that was as much why Jesus died as, as everything else was to be able to be with you, to get you through. Yeah? And I think we've, most people here will have been through suffering, some more than others. Yeah? You know, Job was attacked on three fronts. His possessions, you know, his job, his status, his wealth, his family, his relationships, and ultimately his health. And I think those three areas are probably the main areas where we experience trial and tribulation. I'm not seeing much joy. (laughs) James goes on to say, when, um, count it all joy when you fall in. And when he says fall in, that word is the, um, the good Samaritan, when he was walking along the road to Jericho, it says he fell in with robbers. Yeah. And isn't that like what suffering's like and trial and tribulation's like? You're going about your day-to-day business. And in one instant, in one day, there can be a death, a job loss, financial ruin. Things can happen. I, I am saying this to cheer you up. <laughs> Things ha- I, I know... Um, I know th- as a family, our sufferings have happened sort of, one, you've gone to bed, you know, one day, one night, you've woke up the next day, your world's changed, yeah? Or you've got the results from the hospital, you're going along, world's changed, yeah? It's, it's hard, it's hard, but that is where the test is, isn't it? Because at that time, where do we go, Yeah? Who do we? Who you go to? You know, some some people believe, and James uh, James talks about it later on. Some people believe that if they're wealthy, that that will be the answer to their suffering, that they'll have control, more control over life, and and be able to control what happens to them. But who do we go to? You know, Job complained, but he complained to God, and there's nothing wrong with us. When we go through those times of suffering, trial and tribulation, of, of going to God and saying, God, you know, why? And, and God can take our anger. We always have to remember who he is, but he can take it. He can take our, our, you know, our shouting, our crying, our wailing. He can take it because he hears it inside anyway. So the fact that you're not saying it, you know, it's as loud to him um, whether you're saying it or not. So it's no surprise. But he wants us to bring it to him. Yeah? To him. But what tends to happen, and I tend to be guilty, I get a chinny on. You know, I get obstinate. And it's a bit like, you know, when your parents tell you off, I, I, I tend not to go to him. Because in, in my own perverted way, I'm sort of making him suffer a bit. Yeah? I'm going to teach you a lesson. And this, you know, this is what, I don't know, it's just instinctive with me sometimes. Um, And I I just, I refuse to pray. You know, when things aren't going my way, or I think, no, I'll wait until you do it, and then I'll come to you. I'll wait until you change it, change my circumstances, and then I'll come to you. But God just wants us to come. Yeah. And, you know, James goes on, he talks about, 
going through diverse trials and tribulation. Now that word is a powerful word because it's like in Matthew when it says they brought the sick to him with many diseases. And, you know, there's so many trials that we go through on a daily basis. Yet life itself can be joyful, but at the same time, life is always going to be a trial. There's always going to be tests. Our faith is always going to be tested. So, what's the point? Well, Job says, knowing that the triangle of your faith works patience. And let patience have a perfect work. Sorry. That you may be perfect and tire, wanting nothing. So, God wants us to be perfect. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does. But it's not really... What James is saying is, look, patience is an activity. You know, we have this idea that patience is waiting for something to happen. But it's not. Patience is an active decision to carry on doing what we believe is right and true before God, even in adversity. That's patience. So patience is doing the right thing, no matter what we're going through. Yeah, It's holding fast to our faith, to what we believe. So that's patience. Yeah, It's not sitting back and waiting for God to do something. One time, I worked for a, a uh, a manager who was who bullied me for years and hated her guts. And I used to pray that God would take her out of the picture. <laughs> Isn't that awful? I used to say, God, you know, take take her away. Just put her somewhere out of my life. Anywhere. And one 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 day as I was, you know, ruminating and bemoaning me lot, as clear as a bell, I just felt the Lord was impressing but pressing upon me saying look Gary she's not going to change but you're going to have to change and I want you to love her (laughs) and I did as best as I could I did you know I started not backbiting not moaning just doing what I was asked to do and after about six months the whole situation just completely turned around yeah, because I'd changed. And sometimes we're, we're crying out for God to change things, but, you know, God wants us to change. And when James talks about letting patience have its perfect work so that we may be perfect, the only time we're going to be perfect is when we're in heaven. So if anyone thinks they're anywhere near Right at this stage, no matter how spiritual you think you are, believe me, you are a million miles away. Yeah, I don't care how eloquent you are, how knowledgeable you are, yeah, you are a million miles away. But the minute you agree with God to do what He wants you to do in the situation, you're perfect because God's will is perfect. Yeah. So when we do it, when we do what God wants us to do in any and every situation, we're perfect in that sense. Do you get that? 
yeah, that we're doing his perfect will. And um, I'll finish soon, but James goes on to say in verse 5, and I really, lo- I really love this. He says, given all this, given everything I've said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And what James is saying is, look, if you don't see it my way, you're completely wrong. Yeah? And you need to go to God and ask God to change your perception because sometimes we cannot, we're so locked in. When Job was locked in, it took God coming in out of the whirlwind. And sometimes we just can't see for everything that's going on around us, everything that's, that's churned up by what we're going through. Yeah? But we need to go to God and say, God, change my perception. Because we use up so much energy, negative energy, striving to change things that we can't strive. If we can, if you're in a bad situation, if you're experiencing domestic violence or any form of abuse, whatever it is, then you need to get out of it. You need to take that, you know, the right action. But there's some situations that we can't change no matter how much effort we put in. And it's those times, like it was with my manager, that we have to go, God, change my perception. And that's about renewing your mind, isn't it? You know, that's about going to God and saying, yeah, I want to see, see it your way. Yeah. And sometimes God's so gracious that, you know, sometimes people who rub us up, who we can't get on with, who, who sometimes we have, you know, real animosity for, when we get a glimpse of them through the eyes of the Lord, then our whole perception... I, I, I used to remember one guy, he used to really rub me up the wrong way because his, his face, he looked... He just looked angry all the time and someone that you'd never really want to... I thought, oh, I don't really want to know that guy, you know. And then one time, it was just... Suddenly i just seen this, this same man afraid. Yeah, that deep down, he was scared. Yeah, he had no, no direction in life. He was, he was scared of life. And that face was just his front. Yeah, his face for the world. But you know, God doesn't see that. He sees the heart. And we need to, to spend more time with the Lord saying, Lord, you know, if you've got a gift of discernment, if God gives you gifts of people, you need to see those people through God's eyes. Otherwise, you'll be using those gifts through your eyes. Yeah, and that can be that can be that can be dangerous sometimes because we see three people through our own filter. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to finish there. But there's one thing I want to I just want to bring out when when I spoke before about Job and his three friends, you know. His three friends were meant to be his comforters. And I think sometimes as a church, when we go through things and experience things, um, we expect that certain people are going to be there. We expect certain responses. I mean, some, I won't mention any names, but someone who, who, who goes to hospital, uh, has to get admitted to hospital now and again, keeps on saying to me, you never came to visit me in, in hospital. <laughs> and... Um, 
sometimes there's unrealistic expectations on people, but sometimes, you know, as Christians, we let each other down. Sometimes we don't give the compassion, the sympathy, the right word. Sometimes we don't make the effort to do that, you know, go around and be supportive. And that can hurt, yeah. You know, Job was, and um, uh, Job's three friends added to his, his suffering because they never, they, they never responded in the, way, in the way that God wanted them to respond. Yeah, they thought they were there to tell him what was right and wrong. But they were there really. They got it right in the first instance because they just said nothing. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. Do nothing, say nothing. Just be there. But you know, I haven't always been there, not just for the church, but for my family, for friends. And there's been times when I've felt that the church and family and friends haven't been there for me. And that can lead to resentment. And it's interesting in the story of Job that once Job was restored, the first thing that God did said, said was, now pray for your friends because God doesn't want any unforgiveness in his church, in his body, yeah? And I, I just feel that there's, myself included, there's some of us here today that although we may not have said it, we're still carrying all those issues of they never did that, he never did that, she said that, she shouldn't have done that, yeah? And it's there, you might not have expressed it, you might not even prayed about it, but it's there, you know, and it's a, it's a drain, yeah, we've got to let it go. We've got to forgive ourselves for letting other people down. But we've got to forgive other people for letting us down, especially at those, those moments, those times in life when we needed people the most. Yeah, when the people we expected the most from gave the, le- the least. Yeah, it hurts. It does hurt. But we've got to let it go. So if, if that's you, um, you can stand with me. And by standing, you're just acknowledging that that is the case, that you've let people down or they've let you down or both. And that today, now, you're going to let it go. Yeah? Because as soon as Job did that, right, he was restored, his blessings were restored. If he hadn't have done that, I don't believe his blessings would have been restored until he, he did. And it's going to be, for some of you, it's going to be really hard because, you know, for some of us, we make a... We make a bit of a hobby of it, <laughs> yeah. But we've really got to let it go. And, you know, Jesus came to be with us in our suffering. And part of that, I believe, is because Jesus knows that his people and our families and friends will let us down, but he will never let us down. So if people have let you down, well, that's people, yeah. If the church have let you down, well, that's people, yeah. But Jesus will never let you down. So if you want to stand, feel free. And I'll just uh, pray with you. And it's not about embarrassing you in front of other people. It's just you're standing before God today and acknowledging what he wants you to acknowledge. Lord, I just thank you that today is your day, Father, that every day is your day. And Lord, there's never a time when we can't come before you and just, Lord, just bring before you our issues, our problems, our sins. And you, Lord, will always be there. You're always waiting, Father, 
like the woman at the well, Father, when she came and you were there in the heat of the day. And Father, sometimes we just get worn out because of we don't understand why things happen, Lord. We don't understand why people, Lord, behave the way they do, or we don't understand why we weren't there, Lord, when we shouldn't have been there. But we just bring it all before you today, Father. And we just, we just ask, Lord, that you give us grace to forgive ourselves as you've forgiven us, Lord, for our weaknesses, but also, Lord, that we just, before you right now, just forgive those that have let us down, those that have hurt and grieved us, Father, those that should have supported us and loved us, Lord, and, Father, just turn their back on us or just weren't there for us, Father. We just release them to you. We pray, Father, that they'll just, Father, find a blessing in you, Lord, and find, Lord, joy in their lives in you. And, Father, just as we release them, we just release ourselves And Lord, we just look forward to what you have for us in the coming days. Lord, just pray, Father, we'll just go from glory to glory, Lord, that just as we obey you and do what you want us to do, Father, in this life, Lord, that our faith will increase. And Lord, we'll just get ever closer to that hope, Lord, that ultimately, Lord, we'll be with you. Amen.